Hey everyone, welcome to the Fight to Thrive podcast. I'm Dr. Tyler Simmett. I'm a physical therapist and the captain in the U.S. Army. So this podcast is meant to serve as kind of your one-stop shop for tools to improve the physical, psychological, nutritional, emotional, and spiritual aspects of your life as I'm going to speak with experts throughout all of these fields. Now the show is called Fight to Thrive because you know this knowledge is great, but if you don't have the discipline to keep fighting every day to become a better version of yourself through this information, this podcast simply isn't going to help you. So keep fighting and let's take better care of ourselves so we can ultimately take better care of others. I do have to mention that the views expressed in this podcast are that of myself and my guests and do not reflect the official policy or position of the Department of the Army, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. All right, welcome to this week's episode, everyone. Sorry, we had a little bit of a uh, break in our content here. I'm going through a PCS and a whole lot of change, so I got a little bit busy there, but we're super excited to get back on and to welcome Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Molinar to this week's episode. So she's currently serving as the Chief Nurse and Women's Health Consultant to the First Corps Surgeon and the P3T OIC for JBLM. So welcome. Thanks for joining us, ma'am. Thanks so much, Captain Simmons. I really appreciate your time uh, and the opportunity to speak to the audience today to uh, increase awareness on several key issues around holistic health and female force readiness. Um, and, and how we can help them within the H2F setting and at other healthcare touch points on JBLM to really increase uh, their capability, both physically and non-physically. Yeah, and, and like I kind of touched on before we started here, I, I'm really excited for this episode because it's, it's definitely outside of my comfort zone and, and what I know a lot about and, and kind of uh, outside of my background knowledge. So um, I expect to learn a lot here to be able to bring back to our HF unit. And hopefully, you know, this uh, content and this information will be relatable to a lot of the soldiers too, uh, you know, a lot of the women and also the uh, other providers, the other HF providers that are listening to this. So again, thank you so much. So if you wouldn't mind just like starting off, just telling us a little bit about your background and uh, kind of how you got on this road. Great. Thank you so much. I'll, I'll do that. Uh, so I'm a certified nurse midwife. Um, I've been serving active duty women um, and, and their dependents for the last 20 years of service, both as a nurse and then as a provider. And I'll take a few minutes to kind of explain what nurse midwives are, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions that we just deliver babies. Um, and that's definitely a highlight. I think most of us would, would agree, um, but we do a lot more. And so midwives in the Army are advanced practice nurses. You may also hear the term nurse practitioners. And we provide a full range of primary health care uh, services to women from the time they start out as adolescents all the way through, and even some will do beyond menopause care. So truly the lifespan of the female. And the services are independent. So we're an independent practitioner that provides primary health, gynecological health, family planning. So that could be preconception. So care before you get pregnant obviously care during pregnancy, during childbirth, and in the postpartum or after delivery. Um, and we're also credentialed to take care of normal, healthy newborns through first uh, 28 days. And then we also can diagnose and treat male partners for STDs. Um, we do education with health promotion, disease prevention, and, and a lot of individual wellness education and counseling. And so these services um, are, are provided as a partnership with women and their families 
and in various settings. So you may see us in a clinic setting, in a, in a public health setting, uh, or even in the inpatient setting at the hospital. In the Army, we're very collaborative uh, with our OBGYN physicians and our family practice physicians. So depending on what MTF you are, what duty station you are, you'll see us work very closely with them. Uh, the midwifery philosophy is slightly different um, in that we affirm the power and the strength that women bring and the importance that their health and well-being brings not only to their family, but to the community and to really the nation. Um, we believe that their health is, um, it, it respects individuality, diversity among groups, and that they really have to have all that information uh, applicable to their health to be able to make uh, informed healthcare decisions. And we want them to be the center or, or an active partner is another way you might hear of it, um, to, be, to make those decisions. Um, it's the best model of care we believe for women and their family that promotes um, a continuous, compassionate, communication right between them it's a partnership it's it's sharing their concerns so that they feel more open to talk more about so we can really shape and help them make that best decision for their health and their families um, as far as gblm in the surgeon office um, because of my background in women's health uh, i have a unique opportunity to bring increased awareness and education to our soldiers our females our leaders and the holistic health and fitness teams as they stand up across JBLM. And as many of you probably know, we have seven brigades currently on JBLM that are standing up uh, the H2F system. So pretty great opportunity. Awesome, yeah. And so if you wouldn't mind just kind of getting into some of the details, uh, you know, as to the transition into the, the first core surgeon office and, and some initiatives that you guys have going there. Yeah. Absolutely. So shortly after I arrived in March, I got involved in uh, the surgeon cells discussions with H2F. And that's because the surgeon cell is the action team for H2F on JBLM. So, uh, you know, I was seated right there. I was listening to the force com conversations with the cores being involved with H2F um, expansion. And it was wonderful, right? It's a holistic, immersive, integrative approach to health. Um, all five pillars, physical and then the non-physical, spiritual, uh, mental, um, nutrition, and sleep. And I just was in awe. As a medical provider, I'm like, wow, MedCom's not really talking about this at, at my level. Where have you been? This is amazing. But then I thought, where's all the women's health? And so when we asked that question of Forcecom, they said, well, send us your RFIs because no one really had an answer for that. And so I went back and we got smart on FM 7-22, the holistic health and fitness um, manual. And, and I learned very quickly, I said, oh, I didn't know P3T was decentralizing. And so because of my P3T background, I immediately called public health command and I said, did you know that they're uh, decentralizing P3T? And she says, yeah, we're tracking, but nobody's doing it yet. And so that was really one of the first seeds to say, wow, we have an opportunity to shape what this is going to look like not only for JBLM, but really how TRADOC will then train, um, you know, the, the future H2F programs that stand up. And so the deputies and I within the surgeon cell kind of began to formulate the women's performance package because that was just one piece for P3T. We realized that because of those other pillars of health, women have uh, other considerations for each of those pillars that wasn't um, addressed at all within the FM manual. And so I'll give credit where credit is due. Colonel Hurd, um, our uh, med ops uh, deputy within the surgeon cell, truly coined women's performance as we were brainstorming all the different topics of women's health and what affects women, their readiness needs. 
uh, data for the last 20 years. He's like, this is performance. This is all about women's performance. And so it, it, it definitely stuck. Um, and so I appreciate his advocacy and his mentorship. Um, and he truly cares about um, getting this right and, and, and exposing what our gaps are um, so that we can um, advance women's health. Um, he's also working on, I'll kind of just put this plug in too, that Colonel Hurd and the Surgeon Office uh, does a Ready Leaders program. And it's uh, done for E5s to O3s. And they teach about organizational change within their unit. And they do a two-week program for the soldiers and their spouses. And they teach H2F. They talk about all the pillars of health. And then they ask those soldiers who've been trained to go back into their units and be those kind of plugged in change agents. But since we started the Women's Performance Package, he's now shaped some of that curriculum to help those junior leaders understand what it takes to take care of female soldiers. So I think that's a great groundwork um, that he's doing there. But the entire goal of the Women's Performance Package within H2F truly at first is to increase the knowledge and training of leaders, soldiers, and H2F staff. And then as those proof of concepts are developed, the goal will then to be shared out with the Forcecom and TRADEC and the Greater Combatant Commands. Um, because the, the instructions aren't written yet. How do we educate? What do we educate on? And how do we decentralize P3T? Um, so it's a special opportunity because we kind of get to write the script um, and, then, and then share that across the other units. So it sounds like H2F is kind of the, the top of the, the food chain for this as far as just getting it off the ground and, and seeing how we can implement it organically into units rather than women having to go outside of their units to get this uh, information and this care. Exactly, exactly. And, and thinking about how we focus those efforts, right? It starts with the Army philosophy of people first, and we understand that winning matters. And so when General McConnell said, you know, people are our greatest strength, they're the center of gravity, well, we've actually got to then individualize how, how our service members receive their health care. And we need to then understand the components of women's health and why that's important. Um, you know, by, by changing that culture, um, you know, that's why H2F got started, because we know that the strategic and operational environments were outpacing our current way that we train and develop soldiers. And so with H2F, that's going to be that change model. That's going to get soldiers more fit. And we didn't only say you got to be able to lift X set amount of weight. You got to be able to pass this ACFT. It's how do we keep you holistically healthy, right? And so making sure that women's considerations are in each of those pillars of health so that it is dealt with at a preventative measure versus a react and treat measure. Um, and, and just to know, kind of give it a little bit more of a strategic um, understanding that the holistic health and fitness really nests under the entire DOD total force fitness plan and the Army campaign plan. You've probably heard this, that's not new, but for people that are looking at, well, how does this nest? But because it's an enterprise-wide solution, that's why we're so motivated to get the women's health in here because once it stands up as it's fully implemented, it truly will be the standard of practice within the brigades closest to the soldiers, increased access usually means increased care, better care, okay? Um, so I think that that's, that that's the goal. And, and our current culture, you know, we see R2 performance, we see Army Wellness Center, we see the MTF. And so like we had before, soldiers have to go and get consults or they take time out of their workday to go and do that. And that's what I'm asking that we change the culture for women's health, right? Go to the primary care, get a consult, go to GYN. Uh, or, oh, I deploy in five days. I didn't know I could do those things to help suppress my periods. 
And now, you know, we're setting them up for a different experience uh, in a training environment or downrange. So H2F's goal is to synchronize those efforts. You know, those other systems aren't going away because not everybody gets H2F, but it really is that mindset, that culture change. How do we put more of that care far forward? Um, you know, Army Surgeon General has said, we've got to um, reorganize, reform, and, and be more relevant of how we deliver healthcare. Well, this is it, right? So the old culture of send everybody back to the MTF for that female issue, I'm saying, no, this is how we reorganize. This is how we get more relevant. If we're talking about LISCO operations and we're not going to be able to, um, you know, evacuate in a timely fashion, how do we care for women in a long-term setting who, frankly, if you look at the data, we'll talk about some of these data points moving forward, you know, they were being evacuated for things that could have been dealt with with contraception management. So we're not going to have those options moving forward uh, as the domains uh, and operational environment changes. So we've got to reorganize and rethink about how we deliver that education and that training. So, so that's, that's, that's the excitement. That's why we're here. Awesome. So, uh, did you have, did you say like there's a specific name for maybe like a soldier that wants to get trained up and, and become an educator within the women's performance package or is that? So, um, well, uh, technically no, right now what Colonel Hurd is doing is he is running a three leader, 360 executive leader program. And that's a well-established program here in JBLM that trains leaders to understand the pillars of H2F, but because we started the women's performance package, he's now exposing them to what does this all mean? So we're trying to expose leaders, you know, E5 to O3, as well as we brief the first core, um, first sergeant and commander's course, we've been exposing uh, the information there. And then we're also going to be doing a symposium in September for all of JBLM, and we'll have a little pocket there as well to educate and um, and increase the knowledge across JBLM for women's performance. So not yet. Uh, that's definitely something that hopefully is in the pipeline to um, replicate. But like I said, that's what we're doing the proof of concept for. Like we need it, it works, and now we share with others and get it and solidified. Got it. And so for now, are you is the main mission to edu to be educating the professionals that are working within the H2F realm to start to take this back to our units? Yes. And because we know that HUF can't do it all, we also are increasing the knowledge and skill set of those force comm providers. So your, your brigade surgeons, your brigade PAs, your um, family practice providers that are working in the soldier medical homes, there's very small pockets of those team members who are credentialed to do things like certain contraception options. Um, so therefore, they have to send the consult and go back to OBGYN. So we want to share that knowledge, increase their training and education so that they can access it closer to where they work and, and serve. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting for me because, you know, sometimes I, I think I've been guilty of being one of those providers like, oh, well, that's a public floor issue. It seems yeah. like that yeah. we'll send it to Madigan and, and having you know, not not as much information as I probably should to, to share with, with such patients. You know, I think there's some basic principles that I'm able to apply, but uh, yeah, just getting, getting this knowledge, um, you know, available to us as an HF staff is going to be invaluable as we roll forward. Are there any kind of um, like ratios or anything that you're, you're looking for as far as like, you know, pregnant women to providers uh, or anything like that? 
uh, setting uh, goal setting moving forward? Uh, say that one more time. Are there any ratios of providers to pregnant women? What did you say? Yeah, so it's, it's just as far as like, so is it kind of the idea right now to be like, okay, all uh, women's performance is just goes to the H2F providers? Or is it like, is there a goal set for, you know, 15 women per one provider or something like that? Do you know what uh, I'm saying? That's a good question. I don't, I don't think the day-to-day the -day, um, ability to see how this is all going to be deployed is yet, is yet to be determined. The first thing we've got to do is make people aware of the problem. The second thing we need to do is raise their knowledge and understanding. And then I think because the system itself is pretty highly functional, we're going to see how that fits in. I think by increasing everyone's knowledge and awareness, it's going to um, help women report it more frequently. It's going to help those embedded providers within Forcecom and within H2F to ask the screening questions that maybe they wouldn't ask before, right? You're like, whoa, I didn't know that 50% of women deal with this issue. Um, I didn't know that that's going to be a deployment inhibitor, um, right? So commanders become more engaged. Why do we have, you know, issues with females not being ready to deploy? So because we increase their knowledge, they ask more questions, providers scream more frequently, uh, soldiers um, admit to more concerning issues, and we treat or prevent at a much faster rate so that they're back to the fight faster. So some of this is still yet to be determined if what it truly looks like, but the starting point is to make sure that everybody's got the information they need um, to be able to support uh, that demographic, right? Because like I said, going back to the MTF, either that delays them even reporting, they may not report at all, um, or um, they get inundated and then soldiers have to go to the network for certain things as well, depending on what the capability is uh, of that MTF. So um, it's important for people to know what that baseline information is because then they might go to the next duty station and go, hey, do we have, let's for example, pelvic floor physical therapy at this duty station? No, we don't. So you as a, a PT uh, within H2F, you might have someone who you've initially talked to, maybe you've done a screening tool with them, and you already know that that MTF or that duty station doesn't have that on post. So you're going to explain to that person, hey, you're at a point that you need to have a, a physical uh, pelvic floor physical therapist appointment, and we're going to get you a consult, right? And so that streamlined knowledge and understanding of what services are available and what they need will hopefully get them to care faster. Excellent. So, um, yeah, I, I'd like to share some statistics with, with the, the audience, if you don't mind, and, and kind of shape how and understand why we came up with the lines of effort that we did uh, within H2F, if, you, if that's okay. Of course, please. Yeah, so females, we need to make up 17% of the Army, okay? We're the fastest growing demographic, and we are in every combat arms MOS. First Corps currently has 3,400 females, which is about 17% of the population. And of those, um, 246 or about 7.2% are pregnant. Now remember, once you deliver, you're also non-deployable for those 12 months. So the numbers are much higher of non-deployable. Uh, the pregnancy complication rate across the U.S. has increased by 100% from 2001 to 2010. And the CDC reports from 2010 to 2014 that one in seven commercially insured women will have severe complications that start after they are discharged from the hospital. About 42% of them will occur within the two weeks after delivery. You've heard a lot in the media about racial disparities and severe maternal complications after they deliver. 
and um, it persists after they get discharged. And we know that that issue is still apparent in the military health system. We thought, oh no, that's not gonna be our problem because women have access, all women have access in the military, but it's still an issue. So black women are more likely than their white counterparts to have these severe maternal uh, complications. So we've got to look at why that is. The Academy of Pediatrics recommends six months of exclusive breast milk. And unfortunately, only about 30% of our active duty women are still breastfeeding at four months postpartum. So we have lots of policies to support, but what in the environment and in their education or in their op tempo prevents them from being successful. Um, another stat, unintended pregnancies, or I should say untimed pregnancies are 50% higher in our military population. 8.3 of those females will attrit due to family reasons, which is 16 times higher than our male counterparts. So that's concerning. Um, and those first time attrition rates are really significantly higher in our first term uh, soldiers. And, and most of them are gonna be the E1s through E4s. Um, we've got an issue with military sexual trauma. We know that 55% of women um, have been harassed within their career and 25% have been um, sexually assaulted. Because of that, women are more likely to have depression, anxiety, um, PTSD, um, and, and that is going to attribute to their sleep disorders. Either it's a risk factor for or a consequence of their, men, uh, their mental health disorders. And women are more likely to attempt suicide than their male counterparts. So can, um, can, I, can yeah. I interrupt real quick? Absolutely. Yeah, so I just uh, wanted to mention that I've had, you know, a decent, too many uh, patients that are victims of sexual assault and, mm -hmm. and just knowing that just going through their records before I've seen them. And, um, you know, some of the, some of the psychological issues that, uh, you know, the anxiety and the depression and the, the fear avoidance and things like that, that occurs mm -hmm. following such trauma, uh, clearly manifests itself physically too, you know, with, a, with a lot of yes. like hip and like, uh, pelvic pain, that is so true. That, I'm actually writing that down because I think that's another piece that kind of ties in, you know, the somatic complaints of those mental health concerns, because then that's what you see as the H2F provider for physical therapy. You know, that's, that's, right. that's so true. So true. Um, and then there's those sleep specialists within H2F. So when you look at the manuals in 7-22, they talk about how do I get someone ready to stay up all night and fight downrange. Really, that's kind of the, the, the lens. But when you come back to garrison, you've got to understand what complicates people um, in their day-to-day -day life, right? And so if I've got anxiety, depression, military sexual trauma, I can't sleep well, I can't perform well, I can't physically do well, I can't mentally do well. And it's kind of this entire roller coaster again. So that's kind of where we see this lens, this culture change of, that's wonderful, it's a pillar of health, but then how do you kind of think about those considerations that are specific to females, right? And so um, that's really kind of what we're getting at. Yeah, no, it's so true. Um, I alluded to this before about, um, you know, menstrual disorders, but um, when they looked at, in 2019, they looked at uh, the SITR report, which is inpatient data. Um, they, they saw over 2,400 women were evacuated from a role free between 2001 and 2014 for conditions that could have been dealt with by um, um, contraception use, right? And so was it an issue where we didn't have the supplies? Was it an issue nobody had the education? 
um, or did we not get uh, access to her to inform her of her options early enough prior to deployment, right? And so when you, again, when you think about that operational environment that's changing and we got to do prolonged field care, these operations of, of evacuating women out are, are probably not going to be available, right? So we've really got to change uh, that knowledge and understanding. Um, we all know muscular skeletal injury is a huge army problem, which is why we have H2F and it's amazing. So I think we're going to really improve there. But just to know for those physical therapists, those strength and conditioning coaches, those athletic trainers, we truly have injuries in different patterns as females compared to our males. Women are more likely to have lower extremity injury, stress fractures, and ACL tears. And we don't heal as good. So it takes us longer to heal from those injuries, obviously a readiness issue. And women are two times more likely to get out for those types of injuries than our male counterparts. And, and the cost associated is about $75,000 for those first-term soldiers. So, you know, truly we're, we're losing uh, one of the most valuable assets and we've got to figure out how to get after it. So... Uh, so that's kind of the, the, the last 20 years up until now, some of the data that we have, um, it's not new information for most people that are involved in female force readiness. But I will tell you, one of the take-home uh, reports that just got published was the Defense Health Board report on active duty women's, uh, active duty women's health. That report uh, was, uh, so tasked, so on uh, July of 2019, the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Health Affairs was directed by the Defense Health Board through their subcommittee to provide recommendations for active duty women uh, for access, quality, and uh, readiness uh, concerns. And, and it was unanimous across all services that when they published these results in November of 2020, all services need to improve muscular skeletal injury for the females, psychological health for the females, and reproductive health for the females. So that's how we scoped what we need to do with women's health or women's performance and those lines of effort. The other piece that's really important, which is why H2F is going to be the perfect vehicle, is the Defense Health Board said, you need to be a proactive, a life cycle perspective. From the time they get into as a recruit to the time they separate or retire, we are thinking about these considerations all through their life cycle so that as we treat them proactively, um, and preventatively, we're going to obviously retain them, right? And then we're going to have them be healthier veterans in the end. Um, and truly, it, it, it aligns with everything that H2F does. And H2F is just the model that is going to collaborate with DHA because we can't do it all. Now, I don't think one model does it all, but H2F, because it's in the footprint closest to the soldier, it truly stands to accelerate the efforts. Um, to improve women's health. And I think that's really um, why, why we say people first. Well, if I think of it people first, I need to put it where it's accessible, right? And yeah. so that's kind of the take home for that. Absolutely, yeah. And, and really appreciate all that you're doing here in kind of spearheading this effort. And I think it's huge. And I think that there, the um, long-term potential of it is, mm -hmm. is amazing, you know, as far as being able to, to get this rolled out across, you know, across i across ForceCom, yeah. is, you know, is, I think the, the potential is, is unlimited. So four lines of effort within what we're seeing at JDLM as not all inclusive. Let me just make that very clear. There are still women's issues uh, that need to be expanded and, and we're going to get there, but we're going to start with some of the knowledge we have and, and really get the biggest bang uh, for what we know is affecting women. So gynecological health and deployment readiness, optimal health prior to pregnancy, 
um, uh, the uh, mental health considerations unique to active duty women, and then the decentralization of P3T and breastfeeding support. And, I, and I'm going to go back and break that down just a little bit. So as you start to see these initiatives come out, you're like, well, that's, that's part of that line of effort. Okay. So under gynecological health and deployment readiness, again, we always talk about increasing education awareness of all soldiers, leaders, and H2F staff. And truly the menstrual health disorders of what we talked about is suppressing their periods so that they can have better um, ability to train and deploy. You know, talk about um, how, how's a woman supposed to deal with her, her periods in a training or, or a uh, deployment environment. If there's no running water, it increases her risk for infections, both for urinary infections, vaginal infections. You know, you've got to carry all this extra equipment. You've got to have trash bags for those menstrual supplies. So if we get to women before they go, even when they step foot on JBLM, we can give them that information so they can go and seek out contraception care um, immediately with timing, right? So there are menstrual options for women that you can decrease your periods or even take your periods out altogether and it's completely safe and healthy. One of those products that you talked about or one of those resources that you talked about is called the Dress Handbook. Um, this is a Navy initiated product that is now being branded for DHA for tri-service, but it's the deployment readiness education for uh, female soldiers. And it is 180 pages of all-inclusive, everything from here's, here's your anatomy to sexual health, to contraception, menstrual suppression, critical health screenings, how to pack for deployment, what are some physical health uh, considerations, muscular, skeletal injury, it's everything you need to know. They're working on getting an application so that it's uh, on your iPhone or your Android that's going to make it a little bit more accessible. The other thing you're going to start to see that JBLM is working on um, is a walking contraception access uh, or a walking contraception service. This is done in many locations across the Navy. Um, we did it at Fort Belvoir Community Hospital where I was stationed, uh, and it worked really well. Women can walk in. They review the little app that has their contraception options or maybe some patient literature in, in the um, waiting room. And then they can have about a 30-minute appointment with the provider, and they usually walk out that same day with a contraception option. And I'll uh, just let you know that um, Dr. Ashley Hall, she's one of our OBGYN physicians at Madigan. She's been teaming with me um, in these women performance initiatives, and she is a rock star. She um, has put together and authored this training program for 11 physician assistants across JBLM, and that. Um, training was completed by JBLM, uh, excuse me, other Madigan providers, um, so that we can increase that knowledge and training across those. And then hopefully, um, early June, or excuse me, early fall, we will be able to um, implement that walk-in pilot, right? So we want to know what, what's the response going to be, what are soldiers going to want to do with that. And so we'll start probably with one clinic at the soldier medical homes and then expand as we get more uh, interest into that. So why do we do that, right? Well, we know that if you have increased access, you're going to increase the service more frequently. We want to um, help women decide when is the right time for them to have a family in the military, whether that's professional considerations or personal physical considerations. But having that um, decision and that uh, information at their fingertips is truly going to be um, very helpful for them. The DHA Decide and Be Ready app 
is something that women can log on right now. They can download it onto their phone, go to your app store, the DHA Decide and Be Ready app. And we'll definitely put those in the notes for you guys. But that is a really nice app that kind of gives you um, a, a basic overview of methods of contraception, how effective they are, how it's used, what side effects are, so that if you walk into your provider office, whether it's a walk-in contraception clinic or not, but if you're going in for contraception, you already kind of know what option you want. Um, again, more information in the dress handbook if people are wanting to do that. So um, keep your eyes open for that. Uh, as, as far as other gynecologic considerations, pelvic floor dysfunction training, that's coming to JDLM. And the goal is that we're bringing these um, active duty um, pelvic floor physical therapists into JDLM to train our PTs within H2F, right? So we have um, uh, Major Fournier, she is a DNP uh, trained and, and currently working on her doctorate program. Uh, is just leading the way. And Major Lekansky is another uh, pelvic floor physical therapist that's going to come. And they've developed an eight-hour course for our PTs within H2F. And that course is going to be delivered in November. And we're opening it up to our Madigan providers, our Madigan APRNs, our nurse practitioners, as well as our McCord side. So if we can't get it all in H2F with knowledge, understanding, identification, we really want to expand that to all healthcare touch points that may see active women. Now, this is not a training for internal exams, obviously, because that takes an entire certification. But this is how do I screen the women? How do I know when it, when to elevate and, and escort to get them out to a specialist? Um, so we're very, very excited for them to come because, you know, 50% of women will deal with symptoms of incontinence, even men will come in potentially with symptoms and that may look a little different with um, impotence. Um, and those screening tools that they're coming out now um, are actually um, uh, for both men and women. And so that can be implemented in H2F, it can be implemented in the family practice setting, um, but the more that we screen, the better we can identify and then get those soldiers um, um, to their next uh, elevated uh, healthcare pra practitioner, so their physical uh, PTs. Um, and we don't have any public floor physical therapies, uh, therapists here on JDLM. Um, currently, right now, we have to send those uh, members out to the network. So it will be nice to collaboratively help the practitioners we do have on post and in H2F to help them understand um, and identify those soldiers. Okay. We'll, have to do, um, we'll have to do another Zoom meeting at that point because I'm going to be PCS already. <laughs> I know, I know. You know what? I was thinking maybe we could offer um, a, a, a virtual option because I think, you know, what she and, and Major Kansky, Major Fournier, Major Kansky, this is stuff we didn't learn, right, as, as in our practitioner school. And even the OBGYN scope of care is they know about it, but we're not specialized in it, right? So bringing these specialists in, and then I haven't met yet a pelvic floor physical therapist in any of the H2Fs. And so that's a very specialized, you know, lane. And really what I think needs to happen is we need way more physical therapist PTs within, excuse me, pelvic floor PTs within the army, right? Because we do have to send a lot of these patients uh, to the network, but you know, the studies will show like women will take a year to report. And so when you talk about ACFT prep and all this increased abdominal pressure and, and what it takes to be strong enough to do those deadlifts, um, you know, it, it's core and it's pelvic region. And so we've really got to work at how to re-strengthen that 
um, and care for women and appropriately identify their concerns. So, so that's really exciting. That's all under that um, gynecological health, uh, deployment readiness and muscular skeletal um, a window. Um, and then that, there's that second uh, line of effort for optimal health prior to pregnancy. And what we see here is utilizing those registered dietitians within H2F to help educate our pregnant women before they actually before they get pregnant. So before a woman gets pregnant and we want to educate them on optimal weight, um, if you're normal body weight, you're at less likely risk to develop complications of high blood pressure and diabetes. And so uh, if you're a BMI of 29 and you get pregnant and we say, well, you can only gain a certain amount of weight, that may be very difficult for women. So if you're at a more healthy weight prior to pregnancy, you've got a little room to grow. Um, but once you hit a BMI of 30, those rates of, of complication begin to increase. So we're working uh, with some of the H2F registered dietitians to kind of initiate what that uh, education would look like to help um, shape and, and hopefully reduce those complications of our active duty women. I have a quick question about Absolutely. that. So I have seen a trend where I, I get soldiers coming in, male soldiers that are gaining a lot of weight during their, uh, their partner's pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was wondering if that's, that's something that, that you've seen yeah. a lot of, or is that just me? And how, um, is true story. <laughs> First pregnancy, I was super motivated. I was running a lot. I gained 19 pounds. My husband gained like 25 and I was <laughs> running and he was riding the bike and we're like, what is wrong with this picture? You know, um, the old saying of eating for two is, is not a thing, right? You're not eating for two. And most of the calories within the first 12 weeks are like not anything increased. But you know, when you're nauseous and you're tired and you may have a craving for something, some women will gain weight early on uh, and then they kind of trail off in the end. But you know, if she's eating more, then maybe the spouse is eating more. And so it's kind of that ticket to, to kind of end all be all or open up the floodgates, but really to encourage those families to understand, you know, it's pretty amazing that women will go through pregnancy and come out without any complications. Cause then you look at our rates of complication and how sick some, some people really can get from their complications. You know, it's an eye-opening experience. Listen, pregnancy does, does some stuff to the body and it really need, you really need to be as healthy as you possibly can before you get pregnant. So a year out, you should be thinking, how can I be the most physically and mentally fit as best as I can prior to getting pregnant so that when I go through that pregnancy, I'm not increasing the risk to myself or to my fetus with these other complications. Now, you may do everything right and your body may, may have a different plan, okay? So that's not to say, hey, I did everything right and I still ended up with you know, preeclampsia or diabetes, um, but, but really you're giving your best foot forward, you're doing the best you can, and then those partners need to be those motivators, right? So hopefully they're not putting on more weight uh, than their partners, you know, encouraging them to be healthy and get some exercise. Yeah. Well, I think it, you know, I've never, uh, I don't have any kids, but you know, it's, it's gotta be a stressful and an emotional time and process and in, in the whole idea that you're, you're bringing a new life into the world. And I think we should recognize that too, you know, both in, in the, the females and in their partners and, and being able to, uh, recognize that in themselves and, and, and provide them with good stress management tech techniques to help them absolutely unnecessary um, weight gain. Yes. Another great reason why H2F is perfectly nested uh, within the brigades to offer those um, uh, specialties. 
And, and that's funny because the next line of effort talks about mental health, right? And those considerations. And we touched a little bit on that, right? The anxiety, the depression, the PTSD. Um, but again, those, those behavioral health specialists in there, the OTs actually have training for behavioral health therapy, the cognitive behavioral therapists. Um, we know that women also at a higher risk for eating disorders within the military. So we want to have registered dietitians who are plugged in and understand that. And for women that feel that they have to, you know, lose a ton of weight to make the army body composition uh, standards after delivery. Well, we know that the standards have now increased to 12 months. So hopefully with the help of the registered dietitians and the army realizing it does take more time to recover from pregnancy and delivery, um, that together those efforts can be made to really get her on a much easier course and timeline to be physically fit and ready. Um, I'll touch on this just because this is a first core thing. The transitional stress that all soldiers have when they PCS is something that JVLM is, is really um, kind of putting their best foot forward. Colonel Bryant, um, our, our head PA or our, our deputy for clinical uh, services at the surgeon office is working very closely uh, with, with JVLM partners to develop a, a screening tool, the START tool, uh, which is a soldier transition assessment readiness tool. And that's just such an opportune time when soldiers come into the unit, whether it's an H2F unit or not. How do we help them? How do we understand what they come to the table with? Do they have previous trauma? Do they have previous mental health concerns? Or are they just going through normal stress, but it's really you know, making it very difficult to transition, whether they're a single active duty member, um, whether they've got financial stress, or they're battling with, with an addiction, right? And so we're trying to kind of estimate what that's gonna look like as a standard protocol so that as soldiers come into their units and into H2F, we're looking at these as a standard protocol so we can identify them sooner and get them plugged into where they need to be. So that, that's really important. Um, uh, and, and last but not least is the pregnancy and postpartum physical training uh, line of effort and breastfeeding support. And so we are actively working with the H2F directors and, and those brigades of how and what it's going to look like as we decentralize. I will share that um, JBLM is not going to totally decentralize the installation program. Well, because we still have brigades that don't have H2F, so we've got to keep something going at the installation level. But once we begin uh, the decentralization process, it's going to happen in a staged approach. Not everybody will decentralize all at once, and we will kind of do a proof of concept, right? We want to decentralize maybe a smaller brigade, see how that works, what's the feedback, um, but the opportunity is great because as we trained some of the H2F members in May for instructor trainers for P3T, we will now have those athletic trainers and strength and conditioning coaches helping to make exercise routines that meet the safety requirements for P3T, but they're now increased and better because of their, their master's prepared lens of physical fitness and training. So we're excited to see that program expand and improve um, while still maintaining you know, the safety limits. Um, we're still gonna keep the pool PT organized at the uh, installation level. And we're still going to keep the education organized at the installation level. You know that some of the questions that have come back, um, but it's exciting, right? Because again, TRADOC hasn't written the manuals of how this is going to work. And 
the H2F manuals currently are not prescriptive of how that's supposed to be. So the H2F teams right now are really far forward. Uh, they're getting to kind of write what the future that looks like. And again, hopefully we share those lessons learned um, up at the, at the TRADOC level. For breastfeeding support, I'll just mention that um, our registered dietitians within H2F, they have the opportunity to get smart on some of those support uh, capabilities within breastfeeding. It's a nutrition. It's the best nutrition for your fetus and for your, assuming, for your newborn, assuming that's the choice you make and it's able to be sustained. But how do we support women when they come back to work who choose to breastfeed? Um, the surgeon office just put out um, a memorandum last week summarizing all the breastfeeding policies and, and, you know, women are eligible for training and deployment, excuse me, training, field exercises and mobility exercises when they return from maternity leave. But the more restrictive policy is the breastfeeding support policy. So if commanders can't, um, you know, ensure that I can allow that female to take a break and pump in a secure, locked environment, um, free from intrusion with, with uh, running water, every two to three hours for 15 to 30 minutes, well then she's probably not eligible to go to that training event, right? If I have no running water, can't go. Um, if you can't stop every two to three hours in your transportation, she probably shouldn't go because then we're not gonna be able to support her in that. So maybe those are some of the reasons why women are not successful all the way up till six months, they come back. The environment is like, yeah, I know I can go, but I feel like I'm getting the eye of maybe not being fully supported or, oh, there she goes again to go pump every two to three hours. You know, having that more supportive environment to say, we support you and this is where you need to be every couple hours taking care of your family because that's growing, you know, both, um, you know, the next generation potentially of, of Army soldiers. So I know that was a lot of information. That was um, we great. appreciate yeah, was... the opportunity though to share all of the great things that we're doing at CORE. Yeah, just one quick question about the P3T. Are they, are the postpartum women automatically enrolled into that program? That's a great question. So when they become pregnant, that's when they enroll into the program, okay? So they'll continue that program all throughout their pregnancy. They'll go home after having a baby for those 12 weeks, and then there's like an at-home guide they can use. And then as soon as they come back, they go back into the installation program. When we decentralize, those units that decide they're going to kind of do the pilot, it will be up to those brigades whether they take everybody pregnant and postpartum to be centralized or whether maybe they just attempt the postpartum population at first. So we're still working out those details. We meet about every other week for the uh, IPRs with the H2F teams. Um, and we're working those solutions. You know, we want them to be an active participant um, as we kind of help them shape uh, what that's going to look like. So great questions. Um, any P3T questions, we have an outstanding NCO currently leading um, as our NCO I see at the installation level. That's um, Sergeant First Class Lawton, and he's available anytime to answer. He is the face of P3T across the installation. Um, he's doing all of our training events, and he's knocking it out of the park. So we're very thankful that he's, he's here at the core level as well. Awesome. Yeah, well, really excited about all this and to dig a little bit deeper into some of those resources that you shared with us. My, my fiance is Navy, so she uh, hopefully has, a, has some knowledge on that DRES handbook. I want to share with you that I will say the Navy's kind of winning the race on all of these products. They, they truly are. They get it um, and they've put the time and the effort forward. So 
um, we're going to get there. This is the opportunity for the Army to catch up and truly, um, you know, recognize the needs that we have. And um, H2F is really a part of that solution. So thanks so much for the time today. Um, and I'm available anytime as well. You can reach me on email. Our contact information will be there. Um, and I wish you all the luck, Kevin Simmons, and everything that you're doing in your PCS. Take this wherever you go. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, ma'am. Is there anything else you want to share before we... I don't think so. I, I will okay. say, you know what, the uh, um, uh, health, uh, the H2F symposium, the wellness symposium is coming to JBLM the 21st through the 23rd of September. And that's all inclusive of what we're doing with H2F plus some of the resources across JBLM. So take a look for that. Women's performance will be presented at that time. Um, so just another avenue to be able to get that information out as well. So mark it to your second. calendars. The 21st to the 23rd of September? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Awesome. And there'll be flyers coming out. PAO is definitely in our planning meetings to get that well socialized. But my understanding is it'll be for most of those brigades of the place of duty. So that'll be good. We'll get lots of participation. Absolutely. All right. Well, have a great rest of your evening. Thank you for taking the time. Try and stay cool out there. We got 108 degree temperatures right now here at uh, JBLM. So it's kind of crazy. But thanks for yeah, braving the heat and coming on. Thank you so much, sir. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. All right, everyone. Just have one more quick ask before you go. Uh, if you got something out of or you just enjoyed this week's episode, it'd really mean a lot if you could take the time to either subscribe, review, or share this podcast with your family, friends, fellow servicemen and women, uh, whoever you think you know might be able to benefit from it. Uh, my goal is, it really is to reach as many people as possible and, and to hopefully help them find better health and wellness. So if you could uh, you can take the time to do this, it would really mean a lot. Uh, thanks, everyone. I hope you have a great rest of your day.